Investor intelligence provides general information only. You should consider seeking independent advice to see how this information relates to your unique circumstances. Please refer to the terms and conditions available at investorintelligence.com.au for more. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Investor Intelligence, brought to you by the team at The Property Mentors. It's your weekly podcast for all things investment and hosted by me, Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace. Joining me in the studio today is the man, the myth, the legend, Luke Harris. He's back for his first episode of 2023. Welcome back, Luke. Hello, Phoebe. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Now, because you haven't been on for a while, how about you just give us a bit of an update of what you've been up to? How was your holiday? How was your break? Uh, well, we had a we had a really good time with family over in Perth for Christmas, and um, we then came back for New Year's, back up to Ely Beach, and then went camping for a couple of weeks, which was fantastic. Got back to Ely Beach just before Northern Queensland flooded. Mm. And like one day before it oh, flooded. Wow. So we, all the roads were closed, the Bruce Highway was closed, and then uh, Ely Beach and Cannonvale was basically locked in uh, by floods on, on all sides. Mm. So um, the trucks for coals and petrol trucks and things couldn't get into town. So yep. there was a bit of a uh, a few days there, five or six days there where we were sort of locked off. Um, but we had uh, plenty of time indoors and uh, spent some time with the pets and did a bit of cleaning up. And mm-hmm. then when the rain cleared, we were back out in the garden again and yeah. planted some more fruit trees. So yeah, had had a great little break. Yeah, uh, good. Got a little bit of a suntan slash sunburn, unfortunately, the <laughs> yeah. sunscreen. Uh, there's always that one spot on your body that you can't reach mm-hmm. putting the sunscreen on. So <laughs> I did get a couple of little burns. Um, but yeah, well, it's really back into the year and it's, it's going to be a great year for, for investors. I believe. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to what 2023 has to offer. Yeah, it's going to be a busy year, but great to hear that you had a good time even with all the all the chaos going on as well. So, listeners, we've just entered February. We're well and truly into the new year. And today's episode is the first of our new full-on Feb series, where for the month of February, we'll be releasing double the amount of episodes. And the reason we're doing this It's simply due to the amount of submissions we've had from people who have submitted through our website on content they either want more of um, or that we haven't covered yet. So we're putting in those extra hours uh, to get those out to you. So Luke, what better way to have you back on the podcast with an FAQ app? This will be part five um, because as I said before, we've got quite a few questions that have kind of banked up, especially over the holidays in the last month. Um, And so let's not make them wait any longer. Let's get straight into it, shall we? Absolutely. So the question one is from Arash and it says, why should I engage a property mentor when I can just go online and find a property myself? Well, that's a really good question. I think the the simple answer to that is you don't have to engage a property mentor. Mm. You can go online and find a property yourself. It really comes down to what outcome you're looking to achieve. Now, if you're looking to buy a property for yourself to live in, you know what you're looking for, you want three bedrooms, two bathrooms, double garage, and it's got to be a certain uh, price point in a certain area, you can easily go on online, look for that property, make offers on the property and buy it. Mm. People buy properties all day, every day without any help. Yeah. Uh, the reason why people would engage a property mentor 
to assist them with their their journey, most of the time is for investment purposes. Mm. So if you're looking to get the best results from your investing, and not just a property to live in, or you know perhaps upgrade your family home, investing has a whole new scope of uh, things that you need to cover. So when you're looking for uh, purchasing a property, if it's for investment, a mentor is going to help you to analyze what you're looking to achieve long term, going to help you set your goals and work through the processes that you need to work through to get the best outcome from your investing. Now, mm-hmm. the process of buying a property, not overly difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Hundreds and thousands, millions of property contracts get signed every single year across the country. And a lot of those people do that without help. Now, at the same time, a lot of those purchases are owner-occupiers and they're really comfortable just to go and buy that property without mm. any, any assistance. However, the people that use a mentor and people that work with our mentor team are really going to analyze the long-term goal, how that property is going to fit into that long-term goal, and essentially look at your life and your financial goals as a jigsaw puzzle. And every property and every decision that you make along the way fits into that jigsaw puzzle. And a mentor has that experience and training to help you to work out First of all, what your goals are, mm-hmm. but then, of course, work out how we can work backwards from the end goal. Whereas a lot of people will go out there in the marketplace and day one, they're looking for a property mm. and don't really know what the outcome of that property needs to be. So uh, the you know investor intelligence behind it really is that uh, people are actually going out there and matching the property to the end goal. Mm. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. So we've got systems and processes to help people identify what those properties are going to look like. And when I say what they look like, it's not what color they are or what shape they are. It's what the actual property figures look like and how it looks in your portfolio. Mm. So the difference is is every investor is is different. Everyone's got a different age, different demographic, different requirements and different timeframes around how long they're planning on investing for. And of course, different different purchasing power and different financial outcomes. Mm. So a mentor is going to help walk through that with you and really keep you accountable to those goals so that you can actually achieve that outcome and not do something silly halfway through, which Mm. maybe sell the property or buy the wrong property in the first place and uh, make sure that you understand why you're doing what you do. I think that's a really good way to look at it. The process of buying a property isn't all that hard in itself, but doing it successfully is a completely different it it comes down to what results you're looking to achieve so i always use swimming as an example most people and i say most people a a lot of people uh, can't swim but most people can swim Mm. at some level or at least keep their head above water Mm. um Mm. but of course not most people are not olympian swimmers olympic swimmers right so it depends on the outcome that you're looking to achieve if you're just trying to keep your head above water and get to the other end of the pool then that's fine. Mm. You can go and do that on your own. Uh, it's the same as buying a property on your own. You can probably make it to the other end of the pool without much drama. You might be huffing and puffing a little bit at the other end, <laughs> uh, but you can usually get through that. Now, the people that want the very best results with their investing, they know that they need to increase their education. They need to get better results by uh, learning, asking better questions, and of course, having the right team around them to help get that result. So to get to an Olympic level or state level or a national level in your uh, swimming career, if you call it that, it's the same thing with your investing, uh, is making sure that you've got that right team of people around you and a property mentor is gonna help you to do that. 
And not to mention the networks and the opportunities that the mentors have access to that um, if you were just out doing it by yourself, you probably wouldn't have access to. Well, that's right. And the property mentors as a business, we're out there all day, every day in the marketplace and we're buying properties every week with our members and helping them to secure opportunities that really most people are not going to find on their own. Yeah. And because we're in the market all day, every day, we buy properties every year, we buy you know, tens of millions of dollars worth of property every single year with our members. And what that means is that people know that we're in the marketplace for good opportunities. And we don't sit on realestate.com or domain and try and find properties because if they're listed for sale on the marketplace, it generally means that it's been past our desk and it's not something that we typically buy. So we like to buy through our networks and buy off-market opportunities, and that provides a better result for our members than what they can get on their own. Yeah. So thank you, Arash, for submitting that one. That's a great one. So question number two is from C. Uh, They've just left an initial. But they say, if a property has negative cash flow, could it still be a worthwhile investment? Short answer is yes. Mm. Absolutely. Cash flow is one of the things that we look at when securing a good investment property, but it's not the only thing. Mm. Uh, it, of course, it could be a good uh, and worthwhile investment, but of course, it needs to fit into the overall strategy like we've just discussed. And of course, it depends on how negative that cash flow situation is. A lot of people look at a negatively geared property and you know it might be $50 a week out of pocket or $100 a week out of pocket, but the reality is for most properties that that's not forever. Uh, we use a tool here at the Property Mentors called Augur Investor, and if you go to augurinvestor.com.au, you can download a copy of this uh, software program and you can basically put it in all of the figures that go into that property and work out what your cash flow outcome is on any particular property. So factors in your rent, your interest rates, uh, your you know, tax benefits, your income, the property price, stamp duty, all of these things go into the report. There's literally mm-hmm. nothing missing. So we've got a section in there for maintenance and property management fees and owners corporation, body corporate fees, council rates, all of that data goes into the report and it'll spit out a cash flow position, whether it's negatively geared or positively geared or somewhere in the middle. And what that'll do is help to give you the financial um, forecasting that you need to be able to make a decision. So looking at the negative cash flow on its own is is not the best way to make a financial decision. You need to look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and obviously factor in the capital growth. So I've got properties in the portfolio that uh, might be costing me close to $100 a week to hold on to. Uh, but if you look at the capital growth that that property is providing, and if you average that out over 10 years, you'll find that uh, let's say it's $50 a week out of pocket, but you're getting $20,000 a year in capital growth. Mm. Is that something that you're prepared to, to handle? And keep in mind, of course, that interest rates are going to go upwards, downwards and sideways and rents are going to go up over time. Um, So whilst you might have a negatively geared property now, in five, six, seven years time, it may be positively geared. So all of these things need to be factored in and that there's no such thing as a negatively geared property. Negative gearing or positive gearing or any gearing of a property is a tax treatment of the property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not the property. You can't drive down the street and find a negatively geared property. So just be mindful that negative cash flow uh, is is only going to be an impact if you can't afford that cash flow. But of course, people often do on the back of the envelope type figures and a property might look like a negative cash flow property. But when you use a professional tool like Augur Investor, 
you can actually put all of the figures in there and know that you're looking at everything and not messing anything out. Mm. See, a lot of people might do something on the back of the envelope uh, and they're missing out depreciation or they're missing out body corporate fees or owner's corporation fees uh, and they're not factoring in the whole picture. So when you're doing your cash flow forecasting, like every investor should, make sure that you're using a tool like Auger Investor to actually go through and factor everything in take it to your accountant and discuss it with your advisors to make sure that you've got understood your tax position as well as just the property numbers alone. Mm. And who is the best expert to talk about that with as well, as well as using something like Auger Investor? Yeah, once you've done a report like that and know that you've got everything in there, all of your figures are in there and it's factored in your tax position because obviously if you're an employee and you're paying tax or if you're running your own business and you're paying tax, mm-hmm. Properties can provide tax benefits. So you would take that report to your accountant and discuss how that actually fits in with your overall situation and how that can benefit you as as far as being an investor and and what tax benefits you can receive. So your accountant's probably the one that you're going to run through those figures Mm. with. And of course, your mentor is there to discuss the property and how that can fit into your overall uh, purchasing strategy. And of course, that ties in with conversations with your mortgage broker as well. Yeah. So it, it isn't just a single conversation, it's multiple conversations. But once you've got the the correct data in front of you, it's giving you a better position to make decisions on rather than just winging it. So yeah. um, I guess the short answer is make sure all of the figures are in there rather than just putting the, the summary of figures. What's the rental income and what's the, the um, loan expense? Mm. That's only part of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the whole thing for sure. So question three is from Peter and he says, why does diversifying property types benefit your portfolio? Why not just buy all houses or apartments? So Luke, we've spoken before about the different types of property that you can purchase, Uh, you know, there's residential or commercial and then say within residential you've got townhomes, you've got apartments, you've got houses. Um, So is it important to have a mix or, you know, I mean, as Peter says, why Mm. not just buy one of one of one? One of all, one of that type, exactly. And of course, beyond that, you can drill even deeper as you've got new apartments, old apartments, new houses, old houses, renovation sites, demolition sites, development sites, um, rural properties, inner city properties, Mm. middle ring suburbs, uh, you've got interstate properties, you've got regional areas. So in amongst all of these things, it, it's very difficult to say, well, why does diversifying the property benefit your portfolio? Why not just buy all houses or apartments? Because every market is different. Mm. So you might find a townhouse market in suburb A is very different from a townhouse market in suburb B. Then you've got the old townhouse market and then you've got the new townhouse market in each of those suburbs. Mm. And then beyond that, of course, you've got house and land, vacant land, development sites, and all of the things we've just discussed. So why not just buy all houses or apartments? Well, the reality is that a diversified portfolio is going to give you the benefits of that diversification, which means that while one market might be growing and in demand, another market might not be doing so well. Mm. And over uh, the, the lifespan of your portfolio, Having a diversified portfolio gives you access to many different markets in many different areas. Mm. So I've got properties in multiple states and in different types of property uh, property types, uh, as in apartments, townhouses, house and land, development sites. Um, I've got some some renovation sites that won't be done for some time, um, and I've got a lot of new properties in the portfolio. The new properties are the ones that perform the best from a tax perspective and from a cash flow perspective. Mm-hmm. Some of the other properties that I've diversified into uh, are more for the future for me. Obviously, I've built the portfolio 
quite successfully on on getting a lot of new properties into the portfolio, which have been uh, really the best performers over the last few years. And of course, some of the other projects that I've got for 10 to 20 years from now mm. uh, are larger development sites that I'm holding on to. But not everybody needs to follow that particular strategy. So I think the main thing is look at, like we discussed before, look at your overall investment uh, outcomes that you're trying to achieve based on your long-term goals. Look at it like a jigsaw puzzle, all right, and that's the end picture you're trying to achieve. And like any jigsaw puzzle, mind you, I haven't done a jigsaw puzzle for a very long time, (laughs) um, but like a jigsaw puzzle, every property is like a piece of that jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And so when you're putting your jigsaw puzzle together, every property in the portfolio must have a specific purpose. Now, a lot of investors will go out there and go, well, I heard the Gold Coast was doing well, so I want to buy on the Gold Coast. Or I heard Perth was about to rebound because of the mining boom or this or that. And so people will will go into a particular area and start looking online at properties because they heard something good about it, they read something online, or they've gone to the media and they've found something, some article about a particular area, and they've started what they call researching, mm. right? Well, it's not really researching because often they're just looking at properties. Yeah. Uh, and just looking at properties on on real estate websites does not constitute research in, in my view. It means you're looking at properties, but it's not going to give you the best investment outcome. So as far as diversifying is concerned, every property has to have a specific purpose in the portfolio to help you achieve your goals. Yeah. So that's a really good point to make, actually, that, you know, within the property types, there's subcategories of all of those. What about a mix of, as you've kind of mentioned with like interstate, but locations and strategies as well? Absolutely. Look, the the thing is, is that you're going to be investing in the marketplace at a different time to everybody else. Mm. You might be ready to invest today and the opportunities that are available today that suit your financial position, that suit your end goals, that suit market conditions is going to be quite a unique property that will not be the same as anybody else. Mm. Mm -hmm. So once we've established what that long-term goal looks like, we've understood what the plan of attack is and what types of properties we need to be looking at, then we can narrow down to the state and the suburb and the region and the street and the property type based on the end goal, not based on what properties we like Mm. or not based on the fact that I want an apartment or I don't want apartments or I don't want house and land or I do want house and land. Um, I don't want to buy off the plan or I I want to buy a 30-year-old house. All of those things come last, Mm. whereas a lot of investors will go out there and they'll buy the property first and hope it works out. Our strategies work because we're focusing on the investor first, focusing on the goals and working backwards from that end goal. Yeah, fantastic. So question four, they didn't leave a name, so we've got a mystery person here, but they say if someone wanted to try their hand at renovating or flipping houses, where should they start? Well, this is this is uh, this is quite an interesting one. I know you um, love this, this topic. Yeah. Yes, this was covered in in my last book, uh, Property Fit, as well. And in in Property Fit, we talked about this exact strategy. Whereas a lot of people have watched TV shows, and I won't name names, but everybody knows the TV shows that we're talking about, <laughs> uh, and they've become more of a reality drama show rather than. Uh, than, uh, than, with a, the than, than renovation <laughs> shows these days. But look, there's there's. Plenty of uh, examples of of the media getting involved in renovation shows. It makes good TV. It doesn't always make money. And I think that's the thing. And the the results that people get for renovating um, premium suburb uh, location properties in Melbourne on these TV shows is not indicative of what most individual investors can do. Often these properties are a million dollars or two million dollars to start with, and they're sold for a significant premium 
And some of the properties um, that have been on these TV shows have actually been in this exact suburb that we're in right now, mm. one of them on Commercial Road in Paran and the other one on High Street in Paran a few years ago. And uh, look, those properties sold for millions of dollars. Mm. And looking at that on TV, people are going to be, to a certain extent, maybe excited about doing that and looking at the profits you can get or maybe not get. Mm. So if somebody wanted to try their hand at renovating, flipping houses, where should you start? The first thing that you need to look at is do I have the time and the skills and the energy to do that in the first place? Mm. So am I a builder? First tick, tick mm. of the box, yes or no. <laughs> uh, have I ever done a renovation before? Yes or no. Have I got skills that are going to be able to put to use? But also do I have the financial resources to keep the property vacant while I do that. Mm. You've got to keep in mind, if you are buying a property for this purpose, you do have to fund not only the renovation, um, but also you have to have the, the the buffer there to have the holding costs covered. Um, so that's very important to make sure that you've considered that because if your property is going to be vacant for three, six or 12 months, depending on the size of the renovation, you obviously have interest payments on that. Yeah, that's a cost in itself, yeah. And there's no rental income coming through. Um, but also the thing to to look at is how does that actual strategy fit into that long-term plan? Like we've been talking about jigsaw puzzles, what is the end outcome for doing that? And when people look at doing this, often what they'll do is they'll look at the house, the house might be, or property might be $500,000 and they go, well, We'll put $25,000 into it. We'll put some new carpet and blinds and paint it and make it look nice. And then we'll get a, we'll get a high rent for that. Um, and then, you know, maybe it'll go up in value because of that. And then that'll help us to build our portfolio faster. Now, I did that through the, the year 2000s, uh, through the 2000s, I think you say. Through the noughties, yeah. Through the, the noughties, yes. Yeah. And um, I, I bought a lot of properties that way to try and renovate and, and not so much to flip them because obviously when you're, Flipping, that's an entirely different strategy to renovating. But renovating homes, there was a lot of uh, times there where I thought that I was going to buy a property, add value, right? The people talk about manufacturing growth or value factoring, if you read some of the, the articles out there, uh, and, and that a quick landscaping, paint, carpet, and um, blinds and light fittings renovation can be done quickly. You can turn over the property and then you can go back and get the property valued again and pull out your equity and go again. Mm. those days are gone and valuers are scrutinized a lot more by the banks these days and they've got a lot more obligations to the banks who are their clients not you Mm. and they will look at when the property was purchased they'll look at how much you paid for it and they will realize that three months ago you bought the property for five hundred thousand. and yes you've done a renovation but because the data is only three or four months old they're not going to place a huge amount of extra value uh, value on the property. So your valuation will not come back at $600,000, even if that's what you're hoping for, um, no matter what you've spent on it. And you could probably justify with receipts, but I've seen examples of where people have done this and they've literally put $100,000 into a property and the valuation has come back at or slightly above and only slightly above what they paid for it. Right. Because the banks are being more conservative and valuers are being more conservative. So the thinking that you're going to add value to a property and going to build your wealth faster by doing renovations uh, needs to be checked with a lender first and making sure that the lender understands your strategy. Generally, if you are seen to be in the business of renovating property, the banks will look at your borrowing 
very differently. Mm. Um, and having a good mortgage broker is going to be very important there to make sure that you understand what lenders you can go to and how you're going to be able to pull out equity and that you're not just putting your money into a property and not be able to get that money back out again. Because often people want to do renovations so that they can keep building their portfolio mm. through renovations. In my experience, I've met a lot of people and we speak to hundreds of people uh, every year, if not thousands, and a lot of people have tried this strategy and it just doesn't work because what they think they'll be able to do with the banks doesn't match up with what the banks are willing to do. Mm. So that can affect your entire strategy and plan around doing that. Now, going back to the original point that I make, what's your skills and experience around doing that? A lot of people are tradies and they think that that's the best way to go and do it because they've got mates that are plumbers and mates mm. that are chippies and you can go out there and do that. And, and look, I don't disagree with that. Um, but at the end of the day, there is still a cost for your own time. And a lot of people, when they're doing a renovation, don't factor in that cost. Mm. So if you're earning $30, $40, $50 an hour at your job and you're going to invest 100 hours in renovating that property, that's got a value to it. Yeah. So you need to factor that in. So even if you're happy to donate your time to your own renovation project, it still has a value. Mm. And it's time that you're taking away from your friends, your family, your work or your personal life to go into that property. And as an investor, you need to factor that in as well. What so, is your time worth? So say if you had you didn't actually have the skills yourself and you had to outsource all of those jobs um, with the, you know, the tradies, would you say then, if anything, You'd have to have a financial buffer first and in that way it's more probably an advanced strategy as opposed to a first-time strategy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's there's two things. If you don't have the experience and the skills to do the work yourself, you're going to need to engage somebody to do that. Mm -hmm. So doing the work is one thing if you're capable of doing that. But if you've ever dealt with tradies before, there's a whole language you need to learn. And I've got friends, a lot of friends that are in, in various trades or have been in, in various trades. And there's there's a, a, a secret tradie language that you need to know. And if you don't know that tradie language, you might pay a little bit more. Right? And that's just <laughs> a nice, nice way of saying that if you haven't done this before and you don't deal with tradies on a regular basis, then they're going to often realize that and you'll pay retail price. It doesn't mean you're going to get ripped off, but you're not going to get any any discounts or favors. So paying retail for your renovation is going to cost you money anyway, but also not knowing what those trades do is going to be detrimental anyway because they will go and do stuff that maybe doesn't need to be done because you don't know how to ask the questions around that. It's the same thing with anything with investing. You need to know how to deal with your advisors and how to deal with your experts if you don't know how to have a proper conversation with an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter or a roofer or a landscaper or a concreter, all of these conversations mean that you're going and relying on somebody's advice and hoping that it's the right advice, uh, which could affect your end outcome. The, the second one, the second part to that question is flipping houses. And I'll just touch briefly on that mm. because flipping houses is a very different strategy to renovating. Flipping yeah. houses often means that you're buying the property uh, adding some value, whether you're subdividing or renovating or doing something else to that property, and it may mean getting a planning permit for development or something, and flipping that property. And what that means, flipping ultimately means selling. So when you're purchasing a property in Australia, in most areas, you're going to be paying stamp duty, which is a significant cost, yep. uh, generally up to you know 4 or 5% of the purchase price. When you sell that property, 
generally you're going to be paying capital gains tax. So if you're flipping the property, it usually means in a short space of time. If I buy a property today and sell it in 10 years, it's not really flipping the property. It's It's selling the property, but flipping means doing it quickly. Mm. Uh, You know, you flip a pancake. You don't do it slowly, do you? It's not going to work. So, you know, you you flip a property quickly, but the, the problem with that is that when you get into the property, you're paying stamp duty. You've got loan set up costs, and, and obviously if you exit that loan early, uh, you can be paying penalties to get out of that loan. You've got selling costs at the other end. Uh, you've got the risk of market conditions because you might buy in a good market, but 12 months later or six months later, you might not be selling in the same market. You might be selling in a cooler market. Mm. It might be harder to get the price that you wanted for it, and then you're stuck with a property in your portfolio that you didn't really want. And so it's it's a more risky strategy and it's not something that most people can pull off successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a bit more of an advanced strategy, but of course, even if you do make a profit, you've got to pay tax on that profit. Mm. And the worst part about that is you've done all of that work, buying the property, getting the loan, adding whatever value you're going to add to that, selling the property and assuming you can sell it in the time frame that you want, you've got holding costs that whole time. And then if you do make a profit, you pay tax on that profit, and if you sell it within the first 12 months, there's no capital gains tax discount. Mm. The other thing to that is that at the end of that, you've made a profit, yes, assuming you've made a profit, there's no asset. So you've bought something that was a perfectly good asset, in a lot of cases, not always, mm. and then you've sold an asset. Once you've sold it, you can't make money off it again. And if you seem to be in the business of flipping properties, ATO, and lenders will look at you differently. Right. Right. So you need to factor that in as well. And you would need to be doing higher volumes uh, to make it a profitable enterprise. Um, some people like the idea of doing that for fun. Mm. I think going and buying a property and flipping it and putting all of that work into it and having all of the, the I guess, the pain and suffering of going through and, and securing a property and securing a loan on that property, all to sell it to somebody for a small profit uh, is is not really a fun thing to do. Doesn't really weigh up, does because it? Because to build wealth, you need to build assets in your portfolio, mm. and selling those assets is not going to build wealth. Mm. It'll provide short term cash flow, uh, but once you've chewed through that cash, you need to repeat that process. Yeah. And if banks can see that you only hold your loans for six, twelve, or twenty four months, um, you're going to be looking at different loan products because uh, most lenders want to lock you in for that mortgage term of 25 or 30 years and your mortgage broker might uh, struggle to find you loan products at a competitive interest rate if that's your plan and strategy. Well, yeah, thank you to whoever submitted that because there's plenty in there and I hope that was helpful. There's a lot to think about there. So question five. So, Luke, we've had quite a few questions actually regarding WPT, which is Wholesale Property Trust, um, and... These are questions that a lot of the questions came from people who attended last year's end of year webinar, which was all about the hottest property trends for 2023. Um, But overall, people kind of wanted to know more about WPT as one of those opportunities. So look, what is WPT and how does it differ from regular property investing? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, WPT stands for Wholesale Property Trust. And essentially, Wholesale Property Trust is a group of people that have got together pulled their funds together in what what is deemed a small-scale private offering under the ASIC rules. And a wholesale property trust basically means that a group of people put their funds together and that group of people have gone out there and bought some properties. And a wholesale trust is something that 
essentially anyone can do. You can set up a, a trust and go to your accountant and get some friends together, put your money together and go and share, I guess, and having a, a part of a property portfolio. Now, at the Property Mentors here, we do have, uh, for our members, we have access to wholesale property trusts. We uh, have these as a, it's an off-market opportunity. They're not advertised anywhere. Um, they're only available to a, a select number of our members each year. So they're very, uh, I guess, exclusive as far as the availability is concerned. We can only have um, 20 investors per year. Mm. Now, our approach to our household property trust is to go out there and buy properties that, first of all, are off-market. We can get uh, good opportunities for our members. And, of course, growing the trust is something that gets done for the members of the trust. So essentially, if somebody had some uh, funds available, $75,000 or $100,000, they, uh, they couldn't borrow for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they've got an um, inheritance or something like that, or they have a self-managed super fund and they've got some money sitting in there that they're looking to invest in property. But a lot of people out there don't want to go and buy a property. If you've got $100,000, there's not much property you can secure for $100,000. So um, when we first looked at this many years ago, there was a lot of people that were asking us saying, look, I I want to invest in property, but I can't get a loan because mm-hmm. of my work situation or mm-hmm. I don't want to get a loan because I'm worried about interest rates and debt and, and various other reasons. And so what we did is we actually put together through our legal team and accounting team is a, a trust structure that our members could invest in. And what it does is it allows them access to a property portfolio without actually going there and taking on any risk or debt themselves. So essentially what the trust does, the trust goes and represents the unit trust holders. The trust will go out there and buy properties and buy the best opportunities uh, to build that portfolio. And this is an Australia-wide portfolio in residential and commercial property. And over time, what happens is that fund will go out and get leverage against those properties and continue growing that portfolio over the lifespan of the trust. So people can invest in a wholesale property trust by putting in a smaller amount, $75,000, $100,000 or $200,000, and the trust will go out there and grow that portfolio. Now, what that means for unit holders in the trust means that they can actually have a passive investment, the property management, the insurance, uh, the financials, all of that gets managed for them. And at the end of each uh, each financial year, you get all the reporting and the tax returns and all those sorts of things so that you can uh, see what's going on. We also have a login for our members to actually log in and see what's happening with the portfolio. So mm. you can see how the portfolio is going, any photos of the property, any um, updates on the property or any rent increases and things like that um, is all visible for the unit holders to see. And of course, their accountants and solicitors and whoever else needs to see that data as well. So it is a very transparent system, but it is an off-market opportunity. So today, of course, we're not not offering this to anybody and we're not recommending it for anybody. But the, the question, what is it, really explains it uh, in that it's a group of people that have essentially put their money together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's say if, you know, 20 friends got together and put $100,000 in each, there's $2 million that can be invested in property. Mm-hmm. And there'll be somebody that'll be running that who gets appointed the the, the person that runs it, um, and they will go out there and they will secure the properties, go and build that portfolio, take on the lending and deal with the mortgage brokers and so forth. And over time, that $2 million pro- property portfolio will then grow to $3 million, $4 million, $5 million. And over the short term, the short term, the portfolio growth will be done through leverage. Over the medium term, you'll get that capital growth in the portfolio. So what it allows you to do is have access to the property markets 
have access to having a professional investment team uh, run the portfolio for you uh, with full transparency on what the trust is doing. And then, of course, over the medium term, over 10, 15, 20 years' time, that portfolio is going to continue to grow without you, without your input as far mm. as financials. You don't have to take on any loans or any debt. And essentially, that trust will continue to grow for the life of the trust. The other thing um, which is really powerful is that there's a monthly return similar to getting rent. If you rent a property, you'll get a return every month. It's the same thing uh, with the wholesale property trusts is we've set it up so that our members can get a monthly return in their bank account so that we've got a combination of the capital growth and also the cash flow coming into the bank. So you can see the actual income coming into your bank account. So it's a great way to access the property market somewhat get yourself on the ladder, but it's a bit more passive. Uh, it's a bit more of a passive and long-term strategy. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it is not a high-risk strategy. Mm. The, the mm. whole plan behind this, uh, when we first went through with the solicitors and the accountants around this, is that uh, a lot of people that uh, were looking for this type of investment were looking for something that is passive, um, but is also relatively low risk. Yeah. Now, yeah. investing always carries risks. Obviously, we're mm. investor intelligence, right? We're here to talk about investing and no one has ever said on this um, podcast that investing is risk-free. Mm. However, the lending on these trusts is capped at 50%. And what that means is that we're not gearing the portfolio up to 80 or 90%. Now, investors in their own uh, personal investing may choose to take their loans up to 80 or 90% and uh, put as, as little as possible into the property of, of their own as they're building a portfolio. However, the conservative uh, nature of these trusts is designed to cap it at 50% lending. And what that means is that it allows a, a huge buffer in the portfolio for investors if there were any market shocks or anything else happened. Uh, it also keeps us uh, clear from the banks because there's quite a lot of equity in the portfolio. And, and over time, we'll continue to keep that uh, cap at 50% on the portfolio so that it remains uh, conservative for the life of the fund. All of that's written into the trustee. Um, but like I said, it's a, it is a members-only opportunity. We do have only limited places per year, and it is yep. by invitation. So the only way to access one of these is by talking to one of our mentors. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you are a member, you can access it. If you aren't a member, you can't access it, uh, and it is obviously by invitation. So that sort of summarises what it is. Um, the question around how does it differ from regular property investing, I guess, uh, in short, a, a regular property investment, you would go and take out a loan yourself, you would have full control over the property, you would deal with the property manager, you would deal with all of the finances, uh, and you would provide all of the, the requirements to the lender as far as personal guarantees or anything like that. So if you take out the loan and you default the loan, the bank's coming after you. Yeah. Uh, in this instance, in the wholesale property trust, is the individual or the super fund or whoever is investing is separated from the trust to a certain extent and the individuals are not taking on the debt. Mm. The trust itself is taking on the debt and the director of the trustee company is providing a personal guarantee on those funds. So that means that whilst it's not considered, the word safe is very difficult to use in any investment mm. um, context. However, it's, it's a safer uh, strategy sometimes for some people. Um, but we do have a lot of educational resources for people to understand how it works. 
uh, and of course, um, you know, the people that are investing in our uh, wholesale trusts already are having some fantastic results and, and very happy to be involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that up because, again, we had quite a few people reaching out to know a bit more about WPT, so I kind of had to combine all those questions into one. Um, but, Luke, as always, thank you so much for your time today. I hope everyone listening found this really helpful. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted the questions and for the listeners who have a burning question for Luke that they want featured on an upcoming FAQ episode. You can do so at investorintelligence.com you to submit that. Luke, anything you want to add before we wrap up today? No, have a great February. Thank you, you too. <laughs> if you found this episode or any of our episodes helpful, please make sure to share and leave a rating to help us reach more people on their investing journeys. And of course, subscribe to be notified when new episodes drop. Make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Investor Intelligence Podcast. You can find links to our other socials in the show notes, including a link to the Property Mentors weekly blog. If you're ready to get your property portfolio in shape for financial freedom, check out Luke's latest book, Property Fit. You can get yourself a copy at www.propertyfitbook.com.au.